What do they say? When life hands you a lemon, what do you do? Make lemonade. Right, right. So, um, we're going to have some lemonade this afternoon after church for refreshments. But you know what? Um, you each have a lemon. Promise me you will not throw the lemon at me while I preach. That's why my wife is up here. I know you'll throw it at me, but you definitely won't throw it at her. So she's here for protection, right? But when life hands you a lemon, we make lemonade out of it, all right? So we'll refer back to the lemon in a few moments. But let me ask you this question as we begin this morning. And we're going to be sort of a team tandem preaching this morning. But here's the question. Do all things really work together for good? Do all things really work together for good? When life hands me a lemon, is it that easy to just make a lemonade out of it? This is some serious questions here. But do all things really work together for good? Consider the following. Consider the following. This past Wednesday, an energetic 17-year-old boy in Kaimuki goes out for a ride on a moped, and he's tragically killed in an accident. His father says, I'm still waiting for him to come home, but he's not going to come home. And a baby is born with serious birth defects, and the doctors tell these, the distraught parents she won't live more than a few hours. When the parents take the baby home, the doctors tell them not to bring her back because there's nothing they can do. A few months later, she dies. A recovering addict whose life has been transformed by Jesus Christ while at a Christian rehabilitation program in the state of Oregon is making an effort to get his life back on track by going back to college at the age of 33. When an active shooter invades the campus and invades his classroom, he is brutally shot to death when he proclaims, that he's a Christian. A young man with a heart for God is called to a full-time ministry with his wife. They faithfully serve the Lord in a tiny island country in the middle of the Pacific. And there, God blesses them with a fruitful ministry. And a year and a half into their time there, his wife announces that she's leaving him. I don't want to be a missionary anymore, and I don't want to be married to you anymore. She divorces him and walks out of his life. A young couple in the prime of their life, with four young children, with great careers, with a bright future ahead of them. But now the doctor says that he has terminal cancer. How about a man in his mid-40s? takes stock of his life and what he hopes to accomplish. He decides to stay with the company and gives it his best shot. And in a few years, after hundreds of late nights and long weekends and working on vacations, he passed over for the promotion, and the door closes on the dream job of his career. See, all these stories are true. And I'm sure that you could add many others to this list. You probably have your own story to tell as well. But of all the questions that trouble the hearts of God's people, none is greater than the question, why? 
Why? No matter how many sermons we hear or how many Bible verses we memorize, the question returns again and again. Why did this happen? Lord, why didn't you answer our prayers? When we, when we see the pain of a fallen world, the injustice wrought on innocent people, we wonder, where is God? And over the centuries, the greatest minds have wrestled and struggled with the problem of pain and suffering. And still the questions come, why me? Why now? Why this? You know, we've been journeying through the Old Testament, looking at the heroes of the faith. And we're going to continue that journey this morning. And today we're going to look at one of the greatest heroes in the Old Testament, I believe. It's a man named Joseph. And his story is so great that that the book of Genesis devotes about 14 chapters to the life, to the story of Joseph. And we're going to take a look at that. But Joseph's life illustrates perhaps better than any other story in the Bible this profound truth that we're talking about today. And it's found in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 28. And you'll see it on the screen here. And some of you have probably memorized this. But here's the verse, and here's the promise. And we know that in all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And deep in our hearts, we want to know that Romans 8.28 is true. But still, the questions hang in the air. We wonder why things happen the way they do. Why a wife leaves her missionary husband alone in a foreign country. Why that teenage boy didn't make it home last Wednesday. Why the baby was born with such disabilities. But why do these things happen? And why do they happen to good, decent people? And why do they happen to people who, who love the Lord? You know, there's a doctrine that perhaps may help us understand It may not answer every question, but maybe it provides a basis for understanding. And this is is the doctrine of the providence of God. The providence of God. Providence, it refers to, here's one definition, God's gracious oversight of the universe. That sounds pretty big and awesome, but let me break it down. God's gracious oversight of the universe and every one of these words in this definition is important. You see, God's providence is one, is one aspect of his grace, of his grace, his undeserved favor. Oversight means that he directs the course of affairs, that he's in control. And the word universe tells us that God not only knows the big picture, because he's the God of the universe, but he also concerns himself with the tiniest details of our life. You see, the doctrine of God's providence teaches us several important truths. First one is that God cares about the tiniest details of life. If you think you're just lost because we have a great, big, awesome God, but God cares about each and every one of you and each and every single tiny detail of your life. You see, nothing escapes his notice. For he is concerned about the small as well as the big. In fact, with God, there is no big And there is no small. He knows when a little bird falls to the ground. He numbers the hairs on our head. 
And some of you make, make it easy for God because you have less hair. Right, Thomas? He keeps track of the stars in the skies and the tides that flow in the oceans. He, set, he sets the day of your birth as well as the day of your death. And he ordains everything that comes in between. You see, he cares about even the tiniest details. And secondly, God uses everything. And he wastes nothing. As we think of our experiences, as we think of our circumstances, God uses everything. And there are no accidents. Understand this. There are no accidents with God. Only incidents. And this includes events that seem to us to be senseless tragedies. And third, God's ultimate purpose. His ultimate purpose is to shape his children into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And as a believer and as a Christian, that should be our desire as well. That we want to become more and more and more like Jesus Christ. In our character, in our conduct, in our lifestyle, in our relationships. And God often uses difficult moments and human tragedies to accomplish that purpose of refining us into the likeness of His Son, Jesus Christ. So there are many verses in the Bible that teach these truths. And here are some of them. Acts 12, or Acts 17, 28. It says, In Him we live and move and have our being. Colossians 1, 17 says, In Him all things hold together. Hebrews 1, 3 says, He sustains the universe by the mighty power of His command. And Proverbs 16, 9 reminds us that we can make our plans, but it's the Lord who determines our steps. And then especially Psalm 115, verse 3. It says, Our God is in heaven. He is God. And He does whatever pleases Him. So we see that nothing happens by chance. Nothing happens by luck or by coincidence. Never. And you need to think of providence as the invisible hand of God moving through the circumstances of your life. So with that in mind, knowing what the providence of God is, we need to, let's turn to the story of Joseph. And it's in the book of Genesis. And as we look at his story, and as it said, there's a lot of chapters. So I want you to go with me here, and let's look over his life, because God's providence was evident in his life. And this is how he goes in his life. And you'll see the scriptures on the screen. And you see, Joseph was one of, of Jacob's favorite son. And being favored, he was an object of envy by many of his brothers. Many of us know what that's like when you, there's envy. People are envious of us. And so one day, his brothers conspired into wanting to do something with him. So they conspired to sell him into slavery to the Midianites. And so how do they go about sell, selling their brother and letting their dad know what's going to happen to him? So they took his coat of many colors, splashed it, coated it with blood of goat in order to make it look like he has been killed by a wild animal. And so they showed this blood, bloody uh, coat and shows it to their dad, Jacob, and says, he's gone. Of course, their dad believed them. And with sorrowful they, he's concluded that their son, his son Joseph is dead. So what happens to Joseph in that? 
he gets taken to Egypt. And he is taken to Egypt and again by the Midianites. And there he was sold again. He was sold to the head of Pharaoh's armed forces. To Potiphar. There as a slave in his home. And while he was there, God was with him. And he blessed Joseph. And there in that home, Potiphar gained favor in Joseph and made him in charge of his whole whole household. Imagine that. A Hebrew slave with high honor to oversee an Egyptian pharaoh head of the army. And there in that household, again, Joseph was 17 years old. Young man, competent, confident. And not only that, ladies, he was good looking. Good looking, and it's, it said that in the Bible. Good looking. And so there goes Potiphar's wife, and it's in the story. I want you to read it. There he approaches Joseph about having a sexual affair with him and with her. Not just once, many times, day after day, she goes and offers, makes a proposal. Please have sex with me. That's what she says. Come to bed with me. And Joseph refused at every day. Potiphar's wife goes to to him, he refuses. And because pointing out that he would not do such a thing to his master, and certainly not against God. With that, what does she do? One day, in one of the attempts of Potiphar's wife, Joseph takes off, runs off, and leaves leaves his cloak. And there goes, she's humiliated, angry and mad, accuses him of rape. And there, due to that, Potiphar had no choice but to put Joseph in jail. And where is Joseph right now? A slave, not in the house of Potiphar, but in jail. He's in jail. What is he doing in jail? Jailed for something he has not done. But the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him and blessed him. And there he had respect by the, by the fellow prisoners and the guards. And there also was in jail was the cupbearer of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker. And these two, these two men in jail had a dream. And they wouldn't understand their dream. But Joseph had an ability with the Lord's help to be able to interpret dreams. And in that dream, Joseph was able to say, one of you is going to die. And it happened. And only the cupbearers survived. And in that time in jail for two years, Joseph was called upon because the Pharaoh had a dream that he couldn't interpret himself. So the cupbearer, remember, I know a guy who could do it for you, and his name is Joseph. So what happens to Joseph? From jail, he is brought over to to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh sees him and asks him, will you... Tell me the meaning of my dream. And and he tells the meaning of his dream. And I want you to read upon that meaning of the dream. And, And Pharaoh says, Joseph, I am going to make you the prime minister of Egypt. God's providence is all through this. But not that. It's not the end of the story, church. Here we go. Remember, it's a lot of chapters, but I'm going to go quickly for you. Here, famine happened. One part of the dream. And Jacob, eventually, there was this famine, and Jacob's family, remember Joseph's brothers? Jacob sends his sons out to Egypt and to buy some food. They're hungry. They're starving. As they go, and in the process, they meet Joseph. Only they don't know that it is Joseph. And this happened twice. And Joseph says, I need to reveal myself to them. 
that I am Joseph, their son, the, the son and also the brothers. Can you imagine their faces and their look? They were shocked and scared because they betrayed him. And now what are they going to do? He's in a high position that he could what? Get even with them. But God was with Joseph. But Joseph doesn't do that, doesn't get even with them. He sells them in Genesis. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land. And the next five years will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by the great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, a ruler of all Egypt. And last, as we end the story of Joseph, the brothers go back to Canaan, brings back his father. And here is a reuniting, uniting father and son a son that Jacob never thought would be alive. And there he was able to help his family. And even Pharaoh offers to let Joseph's family live in Egypt and to live in peace. Finally, Jacob dies. And can you imagine what the brothers would be thinking? He's going to get even with us. There's a little bit guilt in there. There's a little bit guilt. But listen to what Joseph's response, again, shows that he believes in the providence of God. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for, I, uh, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. We listen to that story, and as we know that story, and as we look at this last particular verse, Chapter 50. How could Joseph talk like that after all that happened to him? How could he? How could he be so understanding and loving and forgiving? You see, the answer is pretty simple. Joseph, Joseph was able to see God working in everything, in every area of his life. Joseph saw God everywhere. Look how Joseph responds to his brothers. He said, You. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You see, both sides of these statements are true. You meant evil against me. What the brothers had done was indeed evil. And Joseph doesn't sugarcoat the truth. They are 100% responsible for their sin, and there is evil in this world. We don't want to just gloss over it. And those who are committing these sins are 100% responsible for that. And God will hold them accountable for that. But it says, but God meant it for good. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And this doesn't mean that evil isn't evil. It just means that God is able to take the evil actions of sinful men and use them to accomplish his plans. You see, Joseph saw the invisible hand of God at work in his life. He understood that behind his conniving brothers stood the Lord God who had orchestrated the entire affair in order to get him to just the right place at just the right time in order to save his whole family. 
You see, we have perspective when we can look back and see the whole story. And Joseph is saying here, though your motives were bad, though your intentions were bad, God's motives were good. And though it took years and years for God's purposes to be clear, in the end, Joseph saw the hand of God behind everything that had happened to him. Everything, both the good and the bad, both the just and the unjust. Think about that. Think about that, that Joseph saw the hand of God behind everything that had happened to him. At just the right moment, his brothers threw him into the well. At just the right moment, the Medianites came along. At just the right moment, he was sold to Potiphar. At just the right moment, Potiphar's wife falsely accused him. At just the right moment, Joseph was thrown into prison. At just the right moment, he met the baker and the cupbearer. At just the right moment, the cupbearer remembered Joseph. At just the right moment, Pharaoh called for him. At just the right moment, he was promoted to prime minister. At just the right moment, Jacob sent his sons to Egypt. At just the right moment, the brothers met Joseph. At just the right moment, Jacob's family moved to Egypt. At just the right moment, Pharaoh offered them fertile land to live in. At just the right moment, they settled there and prospered. You see, all of this happened at just the right moment and in just the right way so that just the right people would be in just the right place so that in the end, everything would come out the way that God had ordained it from the beginning. Now, God never violated anyone's free will, yet everything happened as he had planned. That's the providence of God in action. You see, everything in Joseph's life had to happen in a particular way. It wasn't just mere coincidence or a fluke or a lucky or an unlucky chance. There was a chain of circumstances that led Joseph from the pit of slavery to the palace of a king at just the right time. And we see that God was involved in all the details. So what about us? What about you? And what about me? If we look with the eyes of faith, And it does take faith. If we look with the eyes of faith, we can see that God is indeed involved in all the details of our life as well. And if we look close enough, we can see God's fingerprints everywhere. We can sense the invisible hand of God in our life. And so the question I have for you this morning is can you trust God with the details of your life? Will you trust God with the details of your life? Not only when things are going well, but when things are going pretty bad. The good, the bad, the ups, the downs, the peaks, the valleys. Can you trust God with all the details of your life. You know, it's not always easy. And it's not always painless. We gloss through the story of Joseph. And everything's worked out in the end. But we know that the struggle was real. We know that the struggle today is real. 
It's not always easy. It's not always painless. Some things are painful. And certainly during the difficult times of his life, Joseph hurt. I suspect he may have been discouraged. Believing in God's providence does not mean that things were easy for Joseph. They weren't. can't even imagine what it would have been like to have been sold into slavery by your own brothers. I would break out in a cold sweat if I imagined being falsely charged with rape. We've all felt the pain of feeling forgotten. Holding to the doctrine of God's providence does not mean that we won't feel the pain of life. Pain is real. Some things, even when they are necessary, are not pleasant. We may know that a certain surgical procedure is required for us to be well, to be healthy, but that doesn't mean that we won't feel the pain. And another thing, God is working out. God is working in our lives. Sometimes we don't understand what's going on. And I expect that there were many nights when Joseph cried out. And I'm sure there are many nights when we cry out as well. Why, Lord? Why, Lord? Like Job, I imagine that there were nights when Joseph asked, God, what have I done to deserve this? Even in hindsight, Joseph may not have understood some of the whys of his circumstances. The same may also be true of you and me. Why did my spouse die? Why do I have cancer? Why did I have to bury my child? Why is my relationship such a mess? Why does everyone else seem to prosper while I struggle? See, believing in God's providence doesn't mean that you'll always understand what God is doing. It only means that you will trust that God is doing something. So this morning, can you bow before the Lord and can you say, Lord, you are in charge. I am not. I may not understand. I may be hurting. I may be struggling. But God, I will trust you with every detail of my life. Lord, I want to sense your invisible hand moving in the circumstances of my life. Started with the lemons this morning. Speaking of lemons, Joseph certainly had his share of lemons thrown at him. He certainly had his share of sour moments. Yet somehow, through God's providence, the sour of the lemon turned into the sweetness of the lemonade. And I don't know what kind of lemons are in your life today or the life of those that you love and those that you care about. But will you allow God to turn what was meant for evil into something that is good? Romans 8.28 And we know that in all things, whether it's good or bad, 
evil or otherwise. And we know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him. And I hope you love him for those who have been called according to his purpose. I believe you've been called. Allow God to work his providential love and care and compassion in your life. I may not understand, but I can still trust. And let me encourage you this morning. God loves you. You've already heard it. But it never, never gets old. Because we always need to hear and know and understand and sense God's love. He loves you with an everlasting love. He not just loves you, but He cares for you. Not he just, and He not only just cares for you, but He wants the best for you. His best. We need to trust Him.